The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast for the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. As always, you are joined by your host, that's myself, Alex Fishbein, producer from Basketball Society, and... We got a little bit to talk about today. We have to talk about the Celtics in their Eastern Conference Finals matchup with the Miami Heat. And we also have to talk about the All-NBA teams that were announced and the possibility of some guys leaving or staying with their current teams come this offseason. So, let's jump right in. To the Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat. And look, guys, if you're trying to make some money, I mean, I would probably go bet on the Heat for game three because according to Bavada Sportsbook, they're a plus 125 underdog. So get that money. Now, at this point, it is Thursday night at the time we're recording this. So game two has ended already. Um, we now know that Miami is up 2-0 in the series. And while the series has been very close, the two teams do look very uh, close to evenly matched. I don't want to say they're exactly evenly matched because there are a, a, a bit of differences between the two that we're, we're going to get into. But um, I think that th- there's... Uh, kind of glaring differences between the two uh, to really show that this isn't exactly an equal match. So let's let's rewind a little to game one. In game one, uh, Boston didn't shoot well from three at all. They, well, I don't say at all. They weren't awful. Um, but they shot 35.7% from three compared to Miami shooting 44.4% from three. So they were outshot from from, from the arc. Uh, and through the playoffs, the Celtics actually are 13th out of the 16 playoff teams in three-point percentage at 34.2. The only teams that are shooting worse than them are already out of the playoffs. Um, so you can see kind of just by that stat that especially since today's NBA is pretty much all about three point shooting that it's it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle if your whole team isn't even shooting that well from beyond the arc um and just i mean when you look at the four main contributors to Boston and i'm saying the four main contributors are Tatum, Brown, Kemba and Marcus Smart um Tatum's the only one shooting a good percentage from three. So Tatum's shooting 40.7%. Brown is shooting 32.2. Kemba is shooting 26.5. Smart is shooting 36. So the 36 isn't terrible for Marcus Smart. Like, we we don't exactly... um, 
expect Marcus Smart to be some kind of three-point sniper or anything, and he did have the game against Toronto where he went off in that, uh, I think it was the second half or maybe even just the fourth quarter, uh, making tons of threes and helps them win that game. Um, but in reality, after these four guys, there really aren't many scoring people. I mean, obviously, you don't really need an entire like seven-man lineup to score consistently throughout the playoffs. A lot of the time, the playoffs is ran by your stars. They're ran by like your big three, your big four guys. Um, and they're the ones who normally dictate the scoring and everything that goes on, mainly with the offense. But in terms of this, you know, you usually have that like three point sniper you can kick it out to um, like, you know, Miami Heat, the Miami Heat have Duncan Robinson they can kick it out to. They even have Tyler Hero that can they can kick out for threes. Uh, when you look at um, teams like I mean, even Denver, you got Gary Harris and Jamal Murray um, in in the Lakers. You still have guys like Danny Green. Uh, you can even throw in, I guess, if you want J.R. Smith or, or KCP, some of those guys that, I mean, some of those names aren't exactly I would consider snipers. However, those are the three-point shooters you can kick it out to when your main guys just aren't creating as much on the ball uh, as you may want them to. When you look at the Celtics, you don't really have that all that much. Um, I mean, you have Brad Wanamaker make, playing spurts, who who has been playing well. You have uh, Grant Williams, who actually leads the entire playoffs in three-point percentage, but he's not taking all that many, and that's not a guy you're really kicking out to three all that much. Daniel Tice shoots threes, but again, that's not a three-point sniper you're kicking it out to. Gordon Hayward's been hurt, so I mean, he's not really shooting, but even then, his three-point shooting was solid, but it wasn't that of a three-point specialist. Um, one of those guys that they do kick it out to a lot is actually Jalen Brown. Now, just looking in the playoffs, his percentage of his field goals assisted, so two point, his two-point field goals um, are assisted 59.3% of the time, and his three-pointers are assisted 89.7% of the time. So Brown has consistently been one of these guys that they kick it out to for a three, a lot of the times in the corner. And so he's used to kind of camping in the corner, waiting like, you know, if Tatum or Kemba start to really work their magic on the ball and try and break guys down and get in the lane they he, he's used to being ready in the corner and so he's still there however he's only shooting 32.2 percent from there well from three in general and that's not really going to give you all that much i'd hate to say it but you're really not going to get all that much and and their shooting has kind of led to Boston actually, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to say their shooting has led to, to people thinking that they're going to bounce back because when you look at that kind of shooting, you're not exactly like, oh, 
they're shooting terribly. They'll bounce back at some point. Like, that's not really how it is. And it actually surprises me that, um, according to Bovada Sportsbook, the Celtics are actually a three-point favorite over the Heat in Game 3. I find that a little surprising because, yes, Game 1 and Game 2 were close. They, uh, you know, they really... There was plenty of times that the Celtics could have taken over and really run away with the game in both of those games. However, it just didn't work out. And the Miami Heat ended up, you know, really grabbing uh, a hold of the reins and never letting go. So to me, watching this series really shows you one glaring thing is that the Miami Heat have a much better team chemistry than the Celtics do. And this isn't something that like uh, we've really talked about because when you watch Boston, when you've seen them throughout the regular season, even when you saw them with Kyrie and everything, you never exactly saw you know, uh, unrest in the team. You never saw them really jawing at each other or fighting with each other. Um, Brad Stevens does a good job in uh, keeping everyone accountable and making sure that kind of stuff isn't exactly for the public to see at least. But, um, it was actually reported by, um, I forget exactly who it is. I think, it, uh, uh, Washburn from, from the Boston Globe, um, that, uh, there was it sounded like there was a lot of yelling coming from the Celtics uh, locker room and Marcus Smart left you know saying like y'all on that bullshit and it's like what's happening now like all of a sudden Marcus Smart is feuding with the rest of the team I mean don't get me wrong Marcus Smart is definitely an emotional leader type of player. I mean, he's, you know, the defensive backbone to the team and everything, and uh, he's one of those guys that you can tell always wears his heart on his sleeve and everything like that. Also a bit of an enforcer a little bit at times. We saw him um, get into a little bit of a, a, an arguing, shouting match at the end of, I think that was game six against the Raptors. So he's not a guy who's going to hold his thoughts back. And... I think that, you know, I don't know if the Celtics need that kind of kick in the pants. Um, I just I don't see them as that kind of team that they need a player to go off or yell or whatever it may be at them and say, like, guys, we need to pick this up now or and, and start getting like super angry at everything. I don't know exactly if that's what this team needs. It doesn't seem like it's a team that responds to that kind of thing, because when you look at Brad Stevens, he's not that type of coach. Um, when, you know, they really needed to pick it up in, in crunch time, or they really need to pick it up, like come game seven against Toronto, you didn't really see them yelling at each other to pick it up or anything like that. There were a couple times, however, in these playoffs, uh, I remember one time that Jalen Brown was kind of, uh, got a little mad because he didn't get the ball in a situation. And I think he yelled at either, it was either like Marcus Smart or Kemba, um, because that, that possession ended up going wrong. So 
it it seems as though the chemistry for the Celtics isn't quite there. And I don't know if that exactly starts with Marcus Smart. Like, I don't know if he's just saying like, okay, I'm the only one who's really in tune with this. The rest of you guys aren't even really trying all that hard, blah, blah, blah. Or I don't know if it's the rest of the team getting fed up with Marcus Smart or, you know, who it might be. Um, At the same time, I just don't really think that from like top to bottom, I don't exactly think that this Celtics roster is built to win a championship, especially if they go against a team like the Lakers. I don't think that they like because I mean, just off the top of my head, like who's covering Anthony Davis? I mean, Joel Embiid. Uh, was like a one-man show for the Sixers. And yeah, they they did sweep the Sixers, but Embiid um, pretty much got what he wanted. Now, if you face the Lakers, uh, you have Anthony Davis who's going to get what he wants. And then, oh, you also have to still worry about LeBron James on top of the rest of the guys that they have who can all still get a bucket. So... I don't think the roster is really created for a championship right now. I still think there's pieces they need to add, especially in the big man category. And I think it's kind of showing with their frustrations because the ball isn't moving in this offense. The ball is stagnant a lot for the Celtics right now. I mean, they are so they're ranking in the playoffs again. Um, They are 14th in the playoffs out of 16 in three-point field goals assisted whereas the the team they're facing the Miami Heat are first with 90.2 percent of their three-pointers assisted and in general out of the 16 playoff teams the Celtics are 11th in assists per game at 21.3 so the ball really isn't moving all that much. We're watching Tatum we're watching Kemba try and create off the dribble Jalen Brown is not a good enough creator off the dribble to give them a third look at a creator. And if you're not swinging the ball for Jalen Brown, well, yeah, he's not going to give you the percentages he normally has in the regular season. That's just kind of how it is. I mean, in game two, so the Heat came back from a 13-point deficit. The Heat had 27 assists compared to their 11 turnovers when the Celtics had 19 assists compared to their 20 turnovers. They they gave up a 37-17 third quarter to Miami. And it's interesting to me because it almost might seem as though Kemba might be fatigued. So he did have a decent game too, but let's look back at some of these other games. Um, in game six against Toronto, he played 51 minutes and 40 seconds, and he shot 18.2% from the floor. In game seven against Toronto, he played 43 minutes, pretty much 44, uh, shot 31.3% from the floor and 143 from three-point. And then game one against Miami, he played 43 minutes uh, and shot 316 from the floor and 11% from three. Now, in game two, only played 34 minutes, shot 47.3 from the floor, but had five turnovers compared to his three assists. So if your main ball handler, uh, I mean, you can argue whether the main ball handler is either Kemba or uh, Jason Tatum, but a lot of the times your starting point guard is your main ball handler. If 
he's only putting up three assists in an entire playoff game on top of turning the ball over five times. Sure, the the field goal percentage looks nice. I think he put up 26 or 27 points or something like that. That all looks well and good. But what exactly is that helping you do in the long run when you're giving it up more than you are assisting your own team? To me, that's just not a recipe for success. That's just a recipe for... I mean, uh, continuing the way this series is going to continue. And on top of that, what it seems like to me is with the Heat, if they have somebody who's not playing up to expectations on offense or, you know, they're, they're, they're just having a rough shooting night or whatever it may be, those guys make up for it on the other end. Whereas when I'm watching the Celtics, if someone is not shooting well or someone is, you know, just having a rough day or whatever, it doesn't seem as though they try to make it up on it on, on anywhere else in the box score or, or in the game. Um, just as an example, like you had Jimmy Butler, who didn't exactly shoot all that well in this game, too, but still had four or five steals. He still came up on. Uh, he came up big on the defensive end. Was still moving the ball around a lot. Was still, you know, a an active leader of the team, and was able to defer a little to to Dragic, who who really helped carry the team in this game to win. Um. So, I think that a lot of these issues that are happening with the Celtics is, you know, you, you gotta you, you gotta figure out where um, you can get your better spots to shoot from, from three, and you just got to start moving the ball more. Like, the stagnant offense is not great for the Celtics. And out of the four teams remaining, uh, the only team that's running at a slower pace than them is Denver. And uh, it works a little more for Denver because their center is one of their top assist guys. And not just that, in their half-court sets, they're still swinging the ball a lot and getting a lot of guys open. And still, even if they're working that two-man game of just Murray and and Jokic, they are still moving the ball more often than not. And I feel as though, especially with a Brad Stevens type of team, they have to start moving the ball if they really want to have any type of success. Um, so I just want to, let's see, I think that the Celtics will win a game in this series right now, but as it's currently going, I think it's going to be like a a gentleman's sweep. I think it's going to be a 4-1 series because unless the Celtics catch fire from three and that carries over in like consecutive games, I really don't see them winning more than one game uh, in which that one game they did catch fire and it's it's just happening in that one game. Um, So right now I have the Heat winning this series 4-1. And on the other side 
of the Western Conference. The Nuggets are now going to take on the Lakers after the Nuggets upset the Clippers. Can we just talk about that game seven first off? That was ridiculous. Kawhi and Paul George absolutely disappeared. They were just awful down the stretch. I think it said in the fourth quarter they combined for like five points or something like that. I know it was below 10. Um, and it was it was just kind of insane to watch like and and i think i, I saw the uh, another stat that said the clippers are now like it's been like 50 years for them not making their conference finals which is an insane stat by the way but you know if Kawhi stayed in toronto he, I have no doubt in my mind that he would be making a finals appearance this year. Because to me, not only do I think that the Raptors supporting cast is better than the Clippers, but their chemistry is incredibly better. I mean, those guys on the Raptors have all been playing together for multiple seasons. Well, most of them. Uh, Marcus all got there later than the other guys, but Abaka, Lowry, Van Vliet, Norm Powell, Pascal Siakam. That's five guys who were some of the core guys there. Oh, and, oh, and OG Ananobi have all been there in Toronto together multiple years. Like at least three, I think. Their chemistry is way, uh, like, way up here. And, like, the Clippers is, like, way down here. Yeah, sure, like, you could they, they were having fun at some points and, and stuff like that. But for a guy like Kawhi that isn't exactly a, a, a huge people person, he's not outspoken, he's not one of those emotional leader type of guys, he's one of those, I lead by example, do what I do, I'll, I'll, I'll get mine. You guys fall in line right after that. That fits right into what the Raptors are. I mean, if you look at the Raptors right now, they are literally one star from the finals because they came to game seven with the Celtics with, I mean, Pascal Siakam now an all, all NBA second, <clears throat> excuse me, all NBA second teamer. But that was their best player. So, now you have Kawhi with the Clippers and yes Paul George you know on paper definitely a a a better player than you know any of the Raptors you could probably put on paper but then when you go down the rest of the Clippers they all were were good they were all decent role players. I mean Lou Williams we know one of the best six men in 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 league history. Um, uh, Patrick Beverly, you know, a big defensive dog. Uh, I mean, Montrez Harrell won six man of the year this year. Um, they had a lot of good names and a lot of good players, but they all, most of them just came together this year. There's just something about the fact that the Raptors' main core has been together for multiple seasons that you just can't beat, really. 
And I mean, it's even so to the fact where, so according to Bovada, um, there's a, there are some odds about where Fred Van Vliet will go. The Raptors are the favorites to keep him at minus 250 and any other team. Like, they're not even, like, picking out other, like, specific teams for him to go to. No, it's any other team is plus 170. That is pretty indicative of, you know, the fact that this Raptors team is going to stay together most likely. And if Kawhi stayed with them, so you already proved A, you can win a championship with them as you did when everything was normal. It wasn't even the bubble. B, if you stayed there this year, you would have had the exact same team pretty much. And you could have just ran it right back and honestly probably been in the finals again. I would have def if it if this Eastern Conference Finals was the Raptors with Kawhi against the Miami Heat, I'd probably pick the Raptors. And then the year after that. If you stay there again, they're probably going to have the same team. The only difference right now is I think they have to look at uh, Lowry's contract, I think, because they gave him a one year, I'm pretty sure. And they have to look at Fred Van Vliet. But, I mean, the rest of the team is mostly locked up. And now you even have Siakam, who got even better. I mean, he got an all-NBA second team. Yeah, the the Raptors probably would have been over the Clippers. But anyway... Um, Nuggets versus Lakers. According to Bovada, the Lakers are the favorite. They are minus 650 to win the series. The Nuggets are plus 425. I think the Lakers are going to win this in, I'm going to say five. I think I think they'll give one game to the Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets have been playing very well. They've been going to game seven every single time. And, I mean, hey, credit to them. They've been winning those game sevens. So, that's big uh, in and of itself that, you know, they keep pushing it to that game seven and they keep getting it. So more power to the Nuggets. And I will give a shout out to Mike Bash. If you guys didn't see our last episode, go check that out. He did have the Nuggets becoming one of the next big dynasties. And uh, hey, the Nuggets are right there on the cusp of a finals. If they can push through, beat LeBron and AD and the Lakers they could get there already. And I think this would be earlier than the timeline that Mike even <laughs> expected. So um, there's that as well. Um, so let's look real quick at the All-NBA teams. The All-NBA first team is Harden, Doncic, Giannis, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. Really nothing much to argue with in that case. Um, all five of these guys definitely deserve first team. They all had tremendous seasons. And I think if you ask most people who they would vote as all NBA first team, I feel like you would probably get 99% of the people to agree with these five. So I really don't have any qualms, any any issues with the All-NBA first team. Then you get to the second team, and we have Lillard, Chris Paul, Kawhi, Siakam, Jokic. I agree with Jokic. I agree with Siakam. I agree with Kawhi. I agree with Dame. I think Chris Paul can be argued. 
Because, yes, he had a good season. Yes, he's been a good mentor in OKC. But there's just, I don't know. Well, it's nothing against Chris Paul. Like, I'm a big fan of Chris Paul, actually. I love his game. I've always loved watching him play. Um, I'm one of the people who's always wanted to, to watch him actually finally make it to a finals and see what, you know, he really has in store. But I don't know. There's just something that kind of is off-putting to me about having Chris Paul on the second team right now. Um, and then uh, we'll just go to the third team. And the third team is Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Rudy Gobert. The third team is where I feel like I can argue half the team. I feel like you can argue if I feel like you can argue if Westbrook deserves it, Gobert deserves it. Some people can probably even argue Ben Simmons. I mean, personally, I think Ben Simmons had a great season. He also made all defensive uh, first team. And personally, I think he should have been in the running for Defensive Player of the Year, but I digress. Um, so the, the biggest snubs, and according to um, like the votes, so uh, in terms of voting, uh, each player gets five points for first team, three points for second team, and one point for third team. Um, Simmons got 61 points. Westbrook, 56 points, Tatum, 153, Butler, 147, Gobert, 110. And the next highest people after them were Middleton with 82, Embiid with 79, Bradley Beal with 32, and Kyle Lowry with 26. Now, it's pretty crazy to me that Bradley Beal didn't make any of the All-NBA teams, nor was he an All-Star. When the man averaged 30.5 points, 6.1 assists, 4.2 rebounds, 1.2 steals, shooting 45% from the floor. You mean to tell me that's not all-star nor all-NBA third team worthy? Really, though? Is that really what it's coming to? I mean, granted, I know the Wizards weren't great. I know they weren't that good. But you got to give this man credit. I mean, this guy didn't get any recognition for anything. That's just, I just feel like that's mind-blowing. And on top of that, Middleton almost has... Or he might have had a 50-40-90 season. And the only reason he didn't really get in is because his votes were kind of split between guard and forward. And I don't know. I feel like with a guy like Middleton, he should count for either one. Especially when on his team he did play shooting guard for a season or two or they at least listed him as a shooting guard um 
I just feel like for me, I probably would have put Middleton over Westbrook. Um, I'm not saying that Westbrook had a bad season, but it's, I, I don't know. I, I also looked at Kyle Lowry compared to Westbrook. Now, Lowry had 19.4 points. Westbrook had 27.2. Kyle Lowry had more assists per game um, by a half assist. They pretty much had the same steals per game. Westbrook had some more rebounds. We all know that. He's a good rebounding guard. Uh, Lowry shot almost 10% better from the free throw line. Um, he shot t- he almost exactly 10% better from the three-point line. His field goal percentage was a little worse because a lot of Westbrook's buckets are close to the rim. Um, Kyle Lowry's effective field goal percentage was 518 compared to Westbrook's 49.3. Um, what else? Uh, their PERs, Westbrook was a little bit higher than that, but Lowry had a much better true shooting percentage. Lowry had a higher amount of win shares, higher amount of box plus minus, higher amount of value over replacement player. And I just think that overall, Kyle Lowry was a little more important to his team's success than Westbrook was to his team's success. I don't know if that's taken into account when people vote for all NBA, but I think it definitely should be. Um, and then if we look at Embiid versus Gobert, I feel like the media members and the others that get votes for all NBA have some sort of love fest with Rudy Gobert. And not to knock the guy, obviously an elite defensive player. But we all got to recognize the fact that he's quite limited offensively. Embiid, who played in, I think it was 17 less regular season games than Rudy Gobert, ended with a higher point total than Rudy Gobert. That is 17 games. And it's not like Embiid averaged 30 points a game. I mean, he put up, like I think it was 23 or 24. Gobert, I think, put up like 15 or 16. Their rebounds were pretty similar. Their defensive ratings were the same at 104. Embiid's three-point percentage was better because Gobert, I don't think he even attempted any. And when you look at, like, uh, player efficiency ratings and stuff like that, like, most of the efficiencies, other than shooting, because most of Gobert's are right by the rim, go to Embiid. And if you swap Embiid and Gobert, and you put Embiid on the Jazz, Gobert on the Sixers. Please tell me who you think is going to have a better season. And if you think the Sixers are going to have a better season with Gobert instead of Embiid, you're wrong. Because that is flat out ridiculous. Embiid is definitely making the Jazz better than Gobert is making the Sixers. 
I understand the fact that Embiid didn't play as many games. We all know he's injury prone. We get it. We get it. We get all the jokes how he doesn't, you know, play a whole season, blah, 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 blah. But his impact is felt so much more in those games than Gobert's is over his games. And again, Gobert does have a high impact. His defense and, and, and his presence is not to be taken lightly. However, if we're talking an all-NBA team and you're comparing these two, the only reason that someone probably, or I should say, the only reason that someone should have voted Gobert over Embiid if you're going to is because he played more games. And that's that's like legitimately it. That's it. That's all. I've seen people talk about like screen assists and stuff like that. Like if we're if we're basing all NBA teams off of screen assists and and stupid stuff like that, I, I mean it's not stupid. I get screen assists are a thing and everything, and and setting screens are an important part of a team. But if that's what we're talking about, is uh you know building someone's resume for an all NBA selection. There's got there better be a lot more people getting looks or votes from the All NBA committee than just Gobert. If that's the case, there really should. Like if if that is really the case, then there's no way Westbrook should be above Middleton, or there's no way um, um, Westbrook should be above Beal or Lowry either. That makes no sense. No sense at all. Um, and just a closing thought. So Giannis, one of two, uh, unanimous first teamers with LeBron, he talked about not wanting to leave Milwaukee and he talked about, uh, well, there were rumors and stuff about him talking to management about talking to them about their spending and trying to get the team better. Um, according to Bovada, so there are odds for six different teams to get Giannis. And it is where will Giannis go next season? The Bucks are the favorite at minus 500. Then the Heat are next at plus 650. The Warriors at plus 700. Toronto at plus 900. Dallas at plus 1400. And the Knicks at plus 2000. Knicks fans, if I were you, I would put like 10, 20 bucks down on this just, just for, uh, you know, shits and gigs. Um, because... You're probably not going to get him, but if you do, you can be happy by the fact you now have a superstar on your team and be happy about the fact you won some money. And if it's 10, 20 bucks that you're betting, like you're really not betting all that much. Just say. Um, uh, personally, I would rather see him go to Miami or Toronto. I don't really want to see him go to Golden State. Yes, the team would be fun. They'd be dominant, but... I'd rather see Golden State back to where they were before Durant. I want to see them compete with this this current roster with Steph and and Clay added, and and see what this team can really do against an even more vamped up Western Conference with LeBron over there. And as far as Dallas and the Knicks, Dallas would be pretty cool. 
I mean, I don't think the fit would be bad with him and Doncic because Doncic can distribute the ball. But I just don't think it would be as fun, personally. And then if he goes to the Knicks, I think it's just a waste. (laughs) Just flat out, I think it's just a waste. But that was just some closing thoughts for me. That is it for me, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA. Make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com. And check out the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you subscribe on the YouTube. Hit like. uh, Subscribe on Apple. We are on Spotify as well. We're everywhere you get podcasts. So make sure you check all that out. Subscribe. Tell a friend. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. And I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.